16. I want to go to Psalm 16, and I want to share some stuff that I believe is very, very imperative. Um, not that I've never touched this topic before, but I believe we're going to go deeper into this topic. I'm um, today, and, and we're, we're kind of getting everything shifted. We're excusing Children's Church at this time. If um, we can let them go ahead and flow out, I give them a moment. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Can we thank God for all of our babies and babies to be? We do a good job blessing the, the earth with babies. We bless. We've been, we've been a blessing to the earth. So we, we're thankful for that. Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 16, um, Psalm 16, excuse me, is where I'm going to go, and I'm going to be dealing with um, idolatry. Right. I'm going to be dealing with idolatry, or I'm going to be dealing with the worship of false gods. Amen. As much as we feel like idolatry is a barbaric and antiquated practice because you no longer see people carving trees and building um, statues, I believe that idolatry is more prevalent and commonly practiced even within Christian culture because we no longer understand how to properly discern it. Amen. Idolatry today is hidden, with, hidden within ideology. Our ideologies become idolatry to the degree those ideologies influence us to live a life that is not in alignment with God. To the degree our ideologies cause us to express a lifestyle that isn't the life God called us to live from his word, to that degree we're worshiping an idol. Ideology, idols are hidden within ideologies and imaginations, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. You can talk to a believer and they'll tell you, I know I ain't living right. Why? Because I'm still now submitting to an idol. I know what the living God says, but there is an ideology that I am fundamentally functioning in outside of what I know God said that now has my obedience more than what God said. That's idolatry. Idolatry is hidden within ideology. What parts of our mind and ideas are functioning to keep us from expressing the kingdom that although we know are not what, in agreement with God, we are yet doing? To that degree, we're worshiping another God. Idols are made out of ideas today. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Foreign ideas are idols. We don't carve them. We don't build them. We just walk around with them in our head. Those are our gods. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's why if you look at it, if there was a king that was faithful, usually it was the kings of Judah under David's line. The, most of all the kings of Israel were wicked. But the kings of, of, of Judah, right, they would always 
rise up and tear down the altars. They would remove idolatry from Israel and release Israel into a blessing. Many times what's hindering the blessing ain't us waiting on it. It's the idols that are in the way. But, but then God would raise up men that were able to discern the idols and tear them down. But usually if you followed their history, they would always say, but they did not remove the high places. Even the faithful kings would leave the high places in place. I believe we're going after a high place tonight. I believe we're going after a high place of idolatry tonight. When I think of high place, I think of what brings people into a high time, what brings people into a high spirit. What now uh, functions in a sense that when men hear it, they feel encouraged, they feel strong, they feel understood, but yet and still it's an idol. So nobody really messes with it because so many people claim to have benefited from it. So they leave the high places intact. Everybody following what I'm saying? Uh, so what I believe today is we're going after is a high place. Everybody follow? Okay, so let, let's go to this. I don't know why I keep on saying everybody following what I'm saying because y'all going to say yeah. Y'all help me to stop saying that. All right? I don't know why. Psalm 16 and 1. It says here, watch this. Preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. Right? Where there's a lack of trust, there'll always be an idol. Where there's trust, there's worship of the living God. Worship always now finds its foundation in trust. To the degree I don't trust God, I'll worship something else. That's why curses the man that trusteth not in the Lord. Because they're actually worshiping something besides the Lord to the degree that they don't trust him. Right? Verse number two, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, verse four, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. Verse 5, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup, my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, we thank you. And we bless you right now for the word of the living God. Ha. Huh. Thank you for life being released in this house on today. Thank you for the wind from heavens to blow and the rains from the glory of God to pour. We bless you for everything that you do in this house, in this moment, and in this time, God. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the house of God. Psalm 16, verse number 4. I want, I want to go back there. Psalm 16 
and, and verse number four, it reads something that, that, that's so profound and so powerful that we need to understand. Please make sure you have ears to hear and pay attention. Amen. Because we're going to cover a lot. Well, maybe not. Psalm 16 and 4. I'm going to read this again. It says, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. I'm going to read that one more time. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Sorrows are directly connected to idolatry. Multiplied sorrows. Back, uh, uh, constantly trying to stand up and getting knocked back, taking two steps forward and getting knocked back five steps. When it ain't one thing, it's another thing. Sorrows are in direct connection to idolatry, right? Their sorrows shall be multiplied. Notice what he says, that hasten after another God. Consistent, unresolved pain, hurt, grief, sorrow, which are all the fruits of one thing, worry. I'm going to say that again. Consistent, unresolved pain, grief, hurt, sorrow, which are all the fruits of worry, are always evidence of idolatry, the worship of another God. Why? Why does pain, grief, hurt, consistent sorrow, evidence of another God? Because one of the marks of legitimate worship in the true and living God is continuous joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. If I'm not living in continuous joy, it means I'm not in his presence. If I'm not in his presence, whatever I'll call worship isn't getting me there. If it's not getting me there, that means I'm worshiping before another God. All legitimate worship is done in the presence of God, and it is impossible to be in his presence without experiencing joy. Jesus doesn't give us joy in his presence. His presence is joy. Joy is the oxygen of the atmosphere of the presence of God. You breathe in it when you're in his presence. You breathe in joy. You don't have to find it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to feel for it. It's in his presence. Fullness of joy. Amen. And so now, anytime we're not experiencing joy, when we lift our hands, that means our worship did not gain access to presence. Because if it did, we could not leave sad. You can never leave prayer sad. You can never leave worship sad. You can never sing and end sad. It can't happen because it brings you into his presence, and it is now illegal to be in his presence and not have joy. Matter of fact, I put it this way, it's impossible, completely impossible to be in his presence and leave heavy. I don't even care if you're praying for somebody you're worried about dying. You're going to leave there smiling even though you've been in his presence. You've been in his presence. This is what I need us to understand because I'm going after some high places today. Worry is far more than an emotion. Worry is worship. I'm going to say that again. Worry is not, worry is far more than an emotion that I deal with sometimes. Worry is worship. What makes us worship makes us bow. Y'all don't want to hear what I, I'm going to say that again. What makes us worry, excuse me, makes us bow. To yield to worry is to forfeit joy. 
Tell me, to yield to worry is to forfeit joy. And if we're not experiencing joy, we've exited presence. For in his presence is is fullness of joy. Worry is worship because it brings us into the presence of what we're worrying about, which naturally takes us outside of the presence of God. Are you worried right now? You worried about your son. You worried about your daughter. You worried about your brother. You worried about your sister. You're worshiping at the wrong altar. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after other gods. Sorrow is is literally a Greek word as seventh is now the Greek word, it means an idol. And, and actually, so, so if we just look at it and stop there, sorrow actually means idol. So anytime we're walking in continuous sorrow, we're actually now worshiping an idol. Sorrow itself translates idol. Also, it means wound, pain, hurt, injury, sorrow, a seventh. It comes from the re- Greek word at salve meaning to carve, form, or fashion in a bad sense. To worry, be in pain or anger, be displeased, grieved, hurt, be sorry, be vexed, feel tortured, worship. It means to worship. Sorrow does. And it also means to form a copy. Man, that's heavy. I'm going to read it one more time before I go into it. It means to carve, form, or fashion in a bad sense. To worry, be in pain or anger, be displeased, grieved, hurt, be sorry, be vexed, feel tortured, worship to form a copy. Whatever worries, pains, displeases, grieves, hurts, or wounds us, shapes, forms, and fashions us, or makes us a copy of itself. That's what it's saying. What you worry about gains now rights over you to make you the clay in it, the potter, and cause you to look like it. We're called to be conformed into the image of Christ, but circumstance and situations have the power to conform us into their image to the degree we yield to them. Do you understand that hurt has an image and it can conform us into it? I wish I, I, I wish somebody in here would testify that you saw somebody that was hurt and they looked hurt. Because hurt conformed them into its image. Being guarded is an image. Y'all know that, right? It conformed that person that just now stays to themselves. Don't talk to nobody. Run as soon as church is over. It conformed them into its image image being overwhelmed has an image that it can conform you into when when now the average person feels overwhelmed how many of you have to use discernment to tell they feel overwhelmed no 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 overwhelmed conformed it into its image because now wor- or being overwhelmed comes from worry and worry is worship frustration and confusion has an image it can conform us into. I'm going after high places. The issue we worry about is the issue we worship. That issue that we worship through worry, through wounds, through through grief, 
is the issue that is conforming us into its image. Circumstantial image fights against us being conformed into his image. To the degree we're conformed into the image of our circumstance, to that degree we're not permitted to be conformed into the image of Christ. Many of us are trying to fight to be conformed in the image of Christ. What's blocking me? What's stopping me? You look like your circumstance. Your circumstance has legal rights to tell you what to look like, not Christ. Because to the degree you worry about your circumstance, you are now being conformed into the image of that circumstance. So there's situational image, circumstantial image, or Christ's image, right? We're conformed into the image of our circumstance to the degree we're worried, hurt, displeased, grieved, or sorry due to our circumstance. We take on the shape, we take on the form, and we take on the fashion of that worry, which is the reflection of idolatry and unbelief until we become a perfect copy. You're conformed into angry until you become a perfect copy. You conform into worried until you become a perfect copy. You're conformed into stressed until you become a perfect copy. That's when nervous breakdowns come. That's when you have to get sleep medication. That's when you can't sleep at night. That's, that's when you, you don't want to talk to nobody. That's when you don't want to get out the bed. You're becoming a perfect copy. Amen? We're conformed into the image of Christ to the degree we walk in joy, praise, trust, thanksgiving, and adoration unto him. And as we do, we take on the shape, we take on the form and fashion of the Father until we're ultimately a perfect copy of the Son. We trust him, we thank him, we adore him, uh, and then we take on his shape, form, and fashion until ultimately we look so much like the Father that we become a perfect copy of his Son. But that don't come through worry, that don't come through pray for me, that don't come through I'm stressed, that comes through trust, thanksgiving, adoration, praise. This is what we got to ask ourselves tonight. We must ask ourselves, have we been conformed more into the image of our situation or more into the image of Christ? Do we look more like hurt or do we look more like Jesus? Do we look more like fighting through my issue or do we look more like Jesus? Do we look more like overwhelmed or do we look more like Jesus? Do we look like, well, God got me in a place or do we look like Jesus? Which one do we look like? Do we look more like our situation or do we look more like him? That'll tell us what's happening to our worship. Do we look overwhelmed or do we look overjoyed? Amen? Is Jesus conforming us into his image or is situation conforming us into its image? That's the question we got to ask. And then if situation is conforming me more than Christ, how can I say I am a worshiper of Christ? Because you look like what you look at, what you worship has the right to cause you to take on its image. Amen? Right? So if we're walking more in situational image than we are the image of Christ, it's because we're hastening after other gods. Therefore, our sorrows have been multiplied. 
Anytime you're hastening after other gods, it'll be one thing after another. It'll be one frustration after another. It'll be one trial after another. Once I deal with this, I got to deal with that. Once I finish thinking about this, I got to think about that. Now I'm worried about this. Now I'm worrying about that. And God is not doing that to judge you. He's doing that to sound an alarm in your heart and help you to understand there's something that happened to your worship. Your worship has strayed away from me. And I've allowed your, your sorrows to hasten to wake you up and bring you back to the place where you understand whatever you're calling worship ain't getting you in my presence because you have no joy. I'm trying to shake your bed and wake you up so you can claim your worship back because you've given it to an idol. Some of us in here over-increasing sorrow is screaming to us and telling us our worship has been hijacked by an idol and we must urgently run back to the heart of worship. Anytime it's sorrow after sorrow, it's screaming to us, telling us, no, 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 I don't need you to worship me. I need you to do a com complete makeover of your worship. I need you to tear down whatever you're doing. I need you to rip it down. I need you to cut off the TV. I need you to get off social media. I need you to rewire what you call giving me glory. Because whatever you call it ain't working. Right? Because in my presence is fullness of joy, and your sorrows continue to multiply. I'm not doing that because I want you to go to hell. I'm doing that to wake you up. You ain't knocked on my door in a long time. You ain't been with me in a while. And I need you to wake up. Do you understand that being conformed into the image of Christ is the climax of worship? Worship's climax is image. Intimacy is only as good as it brings you into image at the end of it. The end of all authentic intimacy is image. I come out looking more like God. I come out feeling more like God. I come out having more of his peace. I come out having more of his joy. I come out having more of his endurance. Do you understand you have a, you know why we're not clapping our hands? Because if you, when you really worship, every time you clap your hands, something conforms. Every time you sing, something conforms. Every time you pray, something conforms. Every time you seek him, something conforms. My God, I'm changing every thank you. I'm changing every hallelujah. I'm changing every worship song. I'm changing every time I lay on my face because I can't be it. You know why we don't clap for that? Because many of us haven't been in his presence in a while. So we're waiting on a change that could happen after a clap. We're waiting on a change that could happen after singing a song. We waiting on a change that could have happened by the end of praise and worship. Yes, 
We waiting on a change that could have happened when Lady Mary sent that telegram worship song. Be the place. We want to be the place where your glory dwells. I don't know about you, but when I listen to it today, I got conformed. Being, see, the reason why we have such a hard time maintaining worship, because after we've been alienated from so long, we don't even realize what it really is anymore. It's joy. I don't care what's happening in your life. I don't care what's going on when you worship. I'm talking about, no, for real, I ain't talking about me. I just hope I make it through. It ain't even about your situation. It ain't about your problem. It ain't about God. Are you going to help me make it? But when you just lift your hands and say, God, in spite of everything, I thank God that I can feel your breath on the back of my neck. My God, I thank God that you don't have to come to me through a storm. You don't have to come to me in the rocks. You don't have to come to me through a wind, but through a still, small voice. You can whisper to me, and I can hear you. Because I know how to hang in the cleft of the rock. My. I, I know how I got a worship position. We're fighting for a change that we could have with a hallelujah. Because so much of our worship has been hijacked by idols. Kandemansia. Their sorrow. Man, I feel that. Derek Bull had a song that said, the longer I stay, the more that he changes me. I won't. I, what is, what's the rest of I Bask in his rain. That's all I know. I know that part. Man, that thing. The longer I stay, the more that he changes me. You don't have to beg to change. Encounter gives grace to change. And he's torn the veil. The veil is torn in two. There's nothing between us and God but this. Their sorrow, watch this, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after other gods. Multiplied is ravah. You know what that means? It literally means to store. Now, I need y'all to catch that because that's heavy. Their sorrows shall be multiplied ravah, to store. So that scripture could read uh, now watch this. Their sorrows shall be stored that hasten after other gods. The believer who is living in idolatry doesn't just have many sorrows. They store sorrow. They stock it. They collect it. 
they accumulated in shelves in the cupboards of their heads and in their heart. Sorrow never comes and goes. It just stacks up. And so the next time you do something that looked like the last thing they did, they go off. And it's like, why are you flipping like that? Because you're an idolater that you, you still stored what happened to you last year. You're storing what happened to you last month. You're storing to what somebody said to you the year before. And so now you're ultra sensitive. I can't take it when people talk to me like that because my daddy talked to me like that and I'm still storing that in the cupboard of my heart. I can't take when people treat me like that because in my last church they treated me like that and I worship other gods so I've stored that in my heart and I use that to respond to everybody around me. How many of us are in a jacked up condition because we're storing what we're supposed to be throwing away? Sorrow never comes and goes. It accumulates in the heart of the idolater. So they're easily offended. They're guarded. They're full-time detectives of those who are fake and phony. They'll be able to tell you everybody that's fake and phony, but won't be able to tell you anybody that's full of the Spirit. Amen? Being easily hurt, being guarded, and a full-time detective of those who are fake and phony is not simply the condition of someone who's been through a lot of hell in their life. You, say, you just got to understand, if you knew their history, no, I just know their idolatry. That is not the testimony of somebody who's been through a lot. That's the testimony of somebody who hasn't worshipped God. Because if they were in his presence, there would be fullness of joy. So, so now, no, 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 no. Your, your, your dysfunction is proof to me that you ain't been in his presence, although you've been coming to church. That means although you've been coming to this church, you've been worshiping another God. Because there's no way you can worship the God called Jehovah and still be in that condition. So now the idolater stores sorrow while sons remain in fullness of joy. What's the significance of being in his presence and remaining in fullness of joy? I have no room for sorrow. Look, it's not that sorrow doesn't come. I just ain't got nowhere to put it. Sorrow come in the morning with me like it do. You know on some rainy days when you're tired and don't feel like getting out the bed, sorrow come knock on your heart. But when sorrow looks at your heart and you're a real worshiper of God, it'll look and say, dog, I ain't got no room in this man's heart. I ain't got no room in this woman's heart. I got to move on somewhere else because they're already full. Full means occupied. Full means no room. Full means it comes, but it cannot stay. In my presence is fullness of joy. Depression comes too. It just ain't got no space. Come on, discouragement comes too. It just ain't got no space. Frustration comes too. It ain't got no space. In my presence is fullness of joy. Full means full. Full means full. In the Greek, full means full. In the Hebrew, full means full. Yes, 
you go ahead and fill up your gas tank and go to the gas station and try to put gas in it. What you going to do? Make it overflow. So the only thing... <laughs> I'm trying to help you understand the only thing the devil can do when you're full is bring you into a place called overflow. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. All you're going to do is make me spill all this joy that's all over me on everybody around me. You prepare a table for me in the presence. Come on, sorrow, bring it on. Go ahead and try to put something on full and watch me go to overflow. Watch me go to high praise. Watch me go to joy, unspeakable and full of. You can't do nothing but make me overflow. I'm on full. You know when you used to fight with depression and depression shows up and it doesn't get the reaction it used to get and you realize it, you know what it makes you do? I was already saying thank you before I put the toothpaste in my mouth. But now I got a two-step with the toothpaste. My God, thank you. <laughs> thank you for adding a little bit of heat to my praise. Watch this. I'm going to show you this, and it's so, 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 so imperative. Somebody, look, look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, joy. Watch this. Put up the slide, Psalm 16. Put up the slide, Psalm 16, verse 3 and 4, in the Passion Translation. I'm going to show you something. Hallelujah. What are you right now? I'm full. What you going to be at 3 a.m.? I'm full. What you going to be if somebody forsakes you? I'm still full. Full is full. Full ain't on me trying to find something. Full in me is in me maintaining an atmosphere called thanksgiving, praise, trust, and adoration under God. As long as that's there, fullness. Fullness of joy. As long as I articulate worry, Frustration, anger, impatience, I'm worshiping another God, and therefore I begin to be conformed into those things. Watch this. Psalm 16, verse 3 and 4, same thing that I read, but this thing is very profound, and I want to point out something. This is that verses 3 and 4 in the Passion Translation. Let me, let me, let me read it first in King James real fast. I'm going to read verse 4. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. And he said to me, my holy lovers are wonderful. My majestic ones, my glorious ones, fulfilling all my desires. He's talking about the real worshiper, right? He said, this is God describing the real worship. He said he calls them his holy lovers. Verse 4, yet there are those who yield to their weaknesses. And, and they will have troubles and sorrows unending. I, ne I never gather with such ones, nor give them honor in any way. In other words, he's not saying he dishonors them as a person. He never honors their inadequacy. The, the, the true believer will never honor your excuse to be defeated. After you finish crying, just know you ain't have to cry that much. 
After you finish telling me how you almost lost your mind, just know you never even had to go through all that. The, 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 the real holy lover helps you to understand the only reason why you went through all that is because you wasn't in his presence. And in actuality, you need to thank God for that because you were living outside of his presence coming to church thinking you were in his presence and he showed you enough sorrow to warn you to revamp your worship. That's actually mercy that your sorrows increased. The King James says, hasten after another God in verse number four. Verse number four in the Passion Translation says, yield to your weaknesses. Why? To the degree we yield to our weaknesses, to that degree we worship another God. Because God ain't weak. If I, if I begin to look weak, that means I'm looking and worshiping another God besides the God that's ever strong. That's even a, an evidence of a worship. Amen? Why? Now, this is what blows my mind, Elder Johnson. Why is the psalmist seemingly so cutthroat concerning those who are fighting with their weaknesses in saying he would not gather with them nor honor them? Now, I'm not, I don't believe he was saying that he would never talk to them. What he's saying is he would never join their pity party and validate their excuse. But why would he be so cutthroat when somebody's so, you know why? Because their weakness and sorrow is not just because they have an issue. It's a red flag that they're worshiping another God. They said, I, I can't, at this point, I can't play with you. I got to just be straight and direct and give it to you clear and help you to understand that this is not the life of a worshiper and a worshiper don't look like this. He goes on to say this. Go to Psalm 16, verse 8. The high place comes down. Am I never saying worry never comes? I'm not saying worry will never come, but worry must buy. Am I telling you frustration will never come? I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you frustration must buy. I do not bow to it. It must bow to the God I worship. I will not bow to it. Watch this. Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I have set the Lord always before me. The true worshiper enters into a depth of passion for which they set the Lord always before them, not in front of them. Come on, we've already done this before. Uh, glory be to God. Come here, come here, uh, uh, um, um, Pastor Edwin. We all understand from now the church of Philadelphia that the Lord says, I set before you an open door, not in front of you. If God sets a door, don't do it yet, because I know you're ready. <laughs> yes, Lord. If God, <laughs> move back a little bit. <laughs> If God sets a door in front of you, that means it's on me to make sure I maintain the path to get to that door. But he did not set it in front of me. He sets it before me. 
So now if the door is before me, no matter which way I go, Thank the you. door moves with wh yes, where Lord. I move. So even when God tells me to go right and I go left, God has set a door before me to make sure that this door that eventually told me to go right, if I go through it, it'll turn me back left. You see, no matter which way I go, no matter which way I turn, God Almighty, this door is always going to be in front of me because it is a door. If I miss God, it's before me. If I turn the wrong way, it's before me. If I back up, it's before me. If I turn wrong, it's before me. It is not in front of me. What I'm telling you is you can't miss this door. This door is for everybody. This door anybody can get through. This oh, Glory be to God. I want you to shout in here. Don't you dare hang your head. You got a door that is set before you. Now watch this. He says, but the psalmist doesn't say what the church of Philadelphia did. The psalmist said, I have set, I have set the Lord before me. Not God set it, a door before me, but I set the Lord before me. So come back. So he's saying, I set the Lord before me, not in front of me. So that means I put the Lord in a position upon my passion. That no matter where I go, he's before me. Not So that means not in front of me. I set him before me. So that doesn't matter what's in front of me. What's before me is in front of what's in front of me. Yeah, come on. All right, all right, all right. So now what I'm trying to say is this. He's always before me, so it doesn't matter what's in front of me because I see what's in front of me through who's before me. Right, come on. So even when I come here, problem. Marital problem is standing right here, and it's in front of me, but guess what? I've set the Lord before me. Right. So now I see the Lord, I see the problem in front of me through the Lord before me. So when I see the marital issue, what do I say? I see the Lord. <laughs> Glory be to God. When I see something in my child, when I see a problem in my child in front of me that I know they need ministry and I know they need prayer, that's in front of me, but I have set the Lord always before me. And what's before me is in front of what's in front of me. So when I see the problem that I need to pray for in my child, what do you see? I see the Lord. Y'all hear what I'm saying? When I get fired, I see the Lord. My God. When things don't work out, I see the Lord. When there's a problem in front of me, I see the Lord. When they fire me, I see the Lord. When it didn't work the way I want it to work, I see the Lord. Because he's always before me. Pastor, what do you see right now? I see the Lord. Twenty people just left. What do you see right now? I see the Lord. What's before me always trumps what's in front of me. So if I'm seeing what's in front of me instead of seeing the Lord, then obviously I don't have before me to ha properly handle what I deal with in front of me. Now, some of y'all acting like that ain't the Bible. 
I wonder if y'all read about an an ancient man of God who was a deacon and a prophet. His name was the name of Stephen. The Bible says that Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. He preached to now the religious leaders and cut them to the heart. He cut them to the heart where they got stones weighing 75 to 125 pounds. And they began to stone him till they crushed his head. They were stoning him and crushing. He was on the ground picking they're taking turns hitting them. The Bible says he looked up and he said, I see the Lord standing on the right hand of the Father. I don't even see the stones. I see the Lord because the Lord has always been set before. What do you see? I see the Lord. My God, I need somebody in here to lift the. I ain't got much voice left because I The doctor just told you it's terminal. I see the Lord. The pain ain't left yet. I see the Lord yet. Grandmama got sick. I see the Lord. Family fell apart. I see the Lord. Marriage is challenged. I see the Lord. Problem is there. I see the Lord. nobody come to church, I see the Lord. The children ain't standing up during praise and worship, I see the Lord. What do you see, the Lord? What's set before me always trumps what's in front of me. And eventually, if I keep him before me, what's in front of me must bow to what's before me. Before always comes before in front. Front has to wait for before. My God, I wish you would just check that out for a while. Just think about it. I don't care if you're up front. Before always comes before whatever. I know it's in front, but before. I've set the Lord. Why do you wake up every morning and you're smiling? I see the Lord. How could you go out and work day after day in that field? And I know they, they do the same thing they do with me. They don't keep their appointments. They don't keep their, I, I see the Lord. What did you see today? The Lord. What you going to see tomorrow? The Lord. That's all I see. You can't see the Lord without the Lord making what in front of you bow to him. I wish somebody would praise God. Come on, I dare you. See, see, see. That ain't something God does for you. That psalmist said, I set the Lord before me. And God ain't going to do that for you. You got to do that yourself with your own praise, with your own thanksgiving, with your own joy, with your own lifting of hands. Ain't nobody going to put God before you. That's your job. I set the Lord ever before me. You may sit down. What's before us trumps what's in front of us. Front can't ever be in front of before. So if we set the Lord always before us, we gain permission to always see the Lord. Everybody following what I'm saying? Because I 
have set the Lord always before me, I shall not be moved. It ain't happened yet. It don't, it don't matter. I set the Lord before me. I'm not moving. He ain't talking about moving naturally. He's talking about moving in your belief, moving in your trust, moving in what God said he's going to do. Because the Lord is set before me, I shall. Anytime we're not moving, we have not properly set him before us. For since we have received a kingdom, y'all excuse me because I ain't got all the voice I want to. Otherwise, we would have went somewhere else. For since we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Where we, what's the only acceptable way to serve God? Never being moved. For, for since we have received a kingdom which cannot, where is the kingdom? Within us. If there is a kingdom in me that can't be moved, that means I cannot be moved. But obviously that kingdom within me means I'm allowed to set the Lord before me. See, there's a lot of people trying to set the Lord before them who doesn't have the king living in them. You only it's called dual dwelling place. I abide in you and you abide in me. If he's not in me, I can't set him before me. I can only set him before me when he lives on the inside of me. What I'm trying to say is we got to go back to actually tarrying for the Holy Ghost. We are, No, no, positive thinking ain't going to do it. No, wishful thinking ain't going to do it. No, singing during praise and worship ain't going to do it. He says, he that is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. That's real clear. That means you got to open your mouth and wait for liquid to be poured down on the inside. Can't nobody drink without opening their mouth. And some of us don't open our mouth enough to be filled. He said we get the Holy Ghost by drinking. I never saw nobody drink with their lips closed. I'm thinking, stay empty. Somebody call you to meditate? Terry don't mean come to the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Terry means that the altar becomes my job, at, at my job. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When I get in the car, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When I get back home, hallelujah. Thank, I'm not cutting on the TV. When I get about the bed, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to continue to open my mouth until some water falls on me. We're not thirsty enough. When you're real thirsty, you'll open your mouth. You ain't thirsty enough yet. You'll open your mouth during praise and worship, but you won't open your mouth during the problem. You ain't thirsty enough yet. You'll open your mouth in the morning, but you won't open your mouth in the evening. You ain't thirsty enough yet. All right. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Now watch this. I'm almost done. We cannot afford to mistake setting the Lord before us with setting the Lord in front of us. We set the Lord in front of us when we're dead set on getting to a place of success, getting to a place of prestige, or getting a certain outcome. Anytime we set the Lord in front of us, all we do is focus on that one thing, success, outcome, or whatever I'm believing God for, whatever that is. 
And any time my direction turns away from that, what do I do? I get discouraged. I begin to question God. God, why is this happening? Why? Because I'm yet to set the Lord before me. I still got him in front of me. He's not intended to be in front of us. See, when the person that sets the Lord in front of them, it don't matter where they at. I see the Lord. My God, I ain't got the job yet, but I see the Lord. My God, it ain't worked the way I wanted it, but I see the Lord. It don't, the place don't matter when you set the Lord before you because you see the Lord wherever you are. So even when I finally get to this place of success, even when I finally get to this place of prestige, even when I finally get to this place of outcome, how do you feel? I see the Lord. Glory be to God. I still see the Lord. Pastor, you're so successful in business. I see the Lord. Pastor, you got more money than you've ever... You You've made more money than you ever. I see the Lord. I don't see nothing else. I see the Lord. More of us would get there if we would set the Lord before us instead of try to set him in front of us and make him obey us in what we want. He's our Lord. We're not his. Your Lord don't want your success more than he wants your love. He doesn't want your prosperity more than he wants your passion. That's what he wants. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Psalm 17 and 8. And I promise I'm closing. Hallelujah. I bless the Lord. It's so good to be home. I miss y'all. Y'all miss me enough to let me preach for a little bit longer. Please, please. Please. Go put the next slide up for me, would you? Next slide. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 17 and 8. I want y'all to notice something. This is so heavy. This is so profound. The Lord didn't really share with me the next one. This one. Yes, yes, yes. I've never seen this before until the Lord began to deal with me about this word, and it blew my natural mind, but it makes so much sense. If you look at Psalm 17 and 8, it says, I have set him at my right hand. If you look at verse 11, it says, at thy right hand is fullness of joy. Y'all see that? First, the psalmist, now if you, I set the Lord at my right hand in verse 8. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore in verse 11. First, the psalmist speaks of setting God at his right hand. Then he speaks of being seated at God's right hand. First, the psalmist says, I seek the Lord at my right hand. Then he talks about being seated at God's right hand. Right? So, now watch this. We're seated at the right hand of the Father to the degree Jesus is seated at the right hand of our passion. I'm going to say that again because I know it got to sink in. We're seated at the right hand of the Father to the degree Jesus is seated at the right hand of our passion. We're only as much at his right hand as he is at our right hand. The right hand in biblical context, watch this, represents the highest place of honor and homage 
to the degree Jesus holds the most prominent position on our passions, to that degree we hold the most prominent position of his passion. We sit at his right hand to the measure he sits at our right hand. The hand of God is the symbol of God's intervention and his approval. We sit at his intervention. In other words, we don't try to get an intervention. We are the intervention. Anytime God wants to intervene, he uses his right hand. Us. It speaks of kingdom ministry. We do not operate in the power of kingdom ministry through wanting power. We operate in the power of kingdom ministry through being rooted in passion for God. As he, as I seat him at the right hand of my passion, he sits me at the right hand of authority over the entire universe. Everybody say authority. authority. You know what authority does? And I'm closing. You know what authority does? Right? And before I say this, listen to me, y'all. You know, and I'm going to be real good about it. Y'all young people, I need y'all to be turned around and facing me. Sitting up. Turn around. I don't want to say, I, I, I'm going to be good this time and not call your name. But I need a posture that's respectful. All right? Now watch this. Watch this. Authority now, watch. We now, through sitting him at the right hand of our passion, he sits us on the right hand of his authority. Authority author. Whoever has authority has publishing rights. I'm trying to help you understand something up in here. Whoever has the authority is the author. What does the author do? The author has control of how the story goes. When we get on the right hand of the Father, we, come, we become the author of our day. We become the author of our mind. We become the author of our praise. We become the author of our future. We become the author of our year. We become, we dictate how the story goes. No, this ain't going to be a bad day because I'm the author. I'm seated on the right hand of God, and this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a blessed day. God is going to touch somebody's heart through me because I decide how the Who has authority is the author. Who the author is dictates how the. It's a sad thing to be, to be a book and the devil has publishing rights over your story. My question to you is who's the author of your day? You or your situation? Who's the author of your day? You or your frustration? Who's the author of your day? You or how you felt? That's what authority does. What's your what is your day going to be like tomorrow? I don't know about yours, but I know about mine. Because I'm the author of my day. How you going to feel tomorrow? I don't know how you're going to feel, but I know how I'm going to feel. Because I'm the author of my feelings. Because I set the Lord ever before me. 
therefore I shall not be moved. You know what the Lord is doing? The Lord right now is showing us high places. You know what the high place is? You know where we hide high places? In overwhelming emotions. That's the, that's the perfect place to hide high places where we're actually worshiping something else because we're so hurt. Because nobody feels comfortable dealing and touching that because you're so hurt. So the enemy hides high places in hurt. But the Lord is coming after high places tonight. He's, he's ready to pull down them idols and call you into his, his presence where there is fullness of joy and his right hand. Where you take the authoring pen of your day out of the hand of the enemy. You take the authoring pen of your day out of the hand of the people around you that attack you. You take the, the, the pen that authors who you are and who, how you feel from people, from the devil, from your circumstance, and you get it back in your hand and you get back down on the paper and you say, I will bless the Lord at all times and his I'm going to author this and I'm going to set the Lord before me. To the degree we, we're worshiping an idol, we lose control of being the author. We don't control our story. I just feel this way. I don't even know why, because you don't got the pen in your hand. I just feel overwhelmed. I don't want to feel like this. I just feel like this. You know why? Because you don't got the pen in your hand. Idolatry always hands over authorship. Everybody standing to your feet. Listen to me and listen to me well. I'm not calling this house into a place of insensitivity. I know everybody doesn't know what, we, what, what the Lord has revealed to us. And I know that there are now wisdom. There's wisdom in ways that you approach that. Amen. And we can't just blanket this. But I do believe it's for this house. And for this people who've known enough and been taught enough to realize the realization. And to sober up to this reality. Amen. You're, you're led by the spirit to the degree you share this with people. Amen. Don't get me wrong. People need to hear it. Because for some reason, we have put a badge of, condom, uh, of, of, of um, commendation. The person who's been through hell, you just don't know how much hell I've been through. You don't just know how, know how many times I wanted to give up. You just don't understand. I almost gave up this week. And somehow we made that honorable. Somehow the church celebrates that as that that's the real believer. When that's actually the greatest idolater. Why don't we go after that high place? You know why we don't go after that high place? Because that would make folk mad. You ain't going to tell me. I don't believe God. I, I, no, you, I ain't going to tell you you don't believe. I, I ain't going to tell you you don't believe in God. But even the demons believe. And they tremble. But your belief hasn't brought you into victory. There are levels of belief. 
Demons have a level of belief that they believe in God, but it'll never save their soul. There's a level of belief that cannot save you. I know you believe in God, but it ain't enough to deliver you. Nor save you. And the Lord is saying, who am I going to, what, who can I, where is the Jehu that'll look up in the window at Jezebel and say, throw it down. Throw down that feminine spirit controlling a masculine spirit. Throw down that spirit that makes men act like women. It's a spirit that hides in hurt, in tears, and you just don't understand. But never wants to be called, you really don't believe God. Thank you, Lord. Today we pull that high place down. 